The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another edition of Friday Night Live on Friday the 22nd of February 2019. I'm your host, Abdul Akbar, joining the hot seat here live from Luton Inspire FM Studios. And it's great to be back in the hot seat. Um, and wow, man, have the team done a great job in formulating an action-packed show tonight. That's right, this is Friday Night Live here in Luton, and we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight, and also going out to the great people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby, and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. Coming up tonight, we've got an action-packed agenda, but before I go on to that, let me just introduce my very special co-host tonight, Zafar Iqbal. Asalaamu Alaikum. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. How are you, sir? Alhamdulillah. Welcome back. Yeah, Mashallah. it's great to good, be back here good, good in to... sunny Luton. Yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> foggy it was... Luton. It was very foggy this morning. I hear. Well, it's very sunny. That's, it's that's very sunny now. Mashallah. But I think in the morning it was uh, there's a lot of fog. Luton Airport actually had lots of delays of oh, okay. outgoing flights. I think there were some delays in Gatwick down South London as well. So I hope nobody was affected too much by the fog in the morning today. Um, it looks like there's, there'll be some fog again tomorrow morning as well. But Zafar Saab, as I mentioned. Boy, do we have an action-packed agenda we tonight. We do, we do. Oh There's been God. lots happening in the world. Lots happening in the world, of course. Uh, I'm going to start off in a moment um, just telling you about Pakistan versus India. And no, I am not talking about cricket. No, no, unfortunately um, not. Exactly. And there's some serious escalations happening now between those two nuclear nations. And we're going to be analysing that in a moment. So stay tuned for that. Pakistan versus India. And we're not talking about cricket. We're talking about potentially a war yeah no exaggeration potentially a war between these two countries um, what's going on there we're going to come on to that in a moment um, and also um, coming up on tonight's program in about half an hour's time is another important topic which is actually something that you couldn't have missed even if you turn on the radio if you turned on the telly at some point this week, you could not have missed this topic. Of course, this is the whole shenanigans with Shamima Begum, which is, um, she's also been dubbed horribly as the ISIS bride. Um, of course, Shamima was 15 when she left the United Kingdom to went and, and go and join the so-called Islamic State in Syria. Uh, lots of things going on there. We're going to be talking to Masood Ahmed, Assistant Secretary General of the Muslim Council of Britain. Rihanna Faisal, co-chair of FACES, is in the house. And of course, our very own Adik Malik, local Luton solicitor and no stranger to this program and the station, is also going to be joining us on the topic of Shamima Begum. My question to you tonight, listeners, is was it right for Sajid Javed to actually take away her passport. Was it right for him to do that? Was it legal for him to do that? I want you to call me up on 01582 481822 in around half an hour's time if you want to take part in that topic. Also, Gavin Shuka, Luton South MP, um, formerly a Labour Member of Parliament, is no longer a Labour Member of Parliament. He has defected 
from Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party and now has joined a bunch of other MPs also who have defected from Labour and a few Conservatives as well and they form their own independent group. We'll be analysing that. That's going to be an action-packed uh, interesting 30 minutes in about an hour's time. We'll be talking to Marcus Kearney, Chair of the Luton South CLP. He's going to be in the studio talking to us and also Dr Stephen Barber from Luton University giving us his expert analysis on what these MPs are up to. And also, we'll be finishing off tonight's show with a Brexit special. That's right, because, you know, Brexit is only... Do you know how many days Brexit is away? Uh, less than a month now, isn't it? Just over, so just over just a month. Just over a month, exactly. Yeah. 35 days to go until the UK leaves the European Union. The question is, in what style? Is this going to be a hard Brexit? Is it going to be a soft Brexit? Is it going to be no deal? What's going to happen? We do not know right now. We'll find out in about an hour and a half's time. Stay tuned for all these topics and more. But I want to go straight on to my first topic of the evening. And don't forget the Shamima Begum special is coming up as well in about half an hour's time. Was Sajid Javed, our Home Secretary, correct to revoke her British passport? If you've got a view on that, 01582481822 in about 30 minutes. And of course, you can take part in this next topic as well. Pakistan versus India. Now, what's going on in India is the question. And what's going on in Pakistan? And it's no secret that India and Pakistan aren't the best of friends. And I'm sure these days it would be very safe to call them enemies. But the question is, what sparked off the most recent rise in tensions? Are there political games at play? What is Imran Khan's strategy. Of course, this is all on the back of the recent attack in the Pulwama district of Jammu and Kashmir on Thursday last week, where all major political parties in India, as well as several countries, condemned the attack in Pulwama. And the Congress party, which is the opposition party, um, is standing united with the nationalist BJP government. At least 40 personnel of the Central Reserve Police Force were killed after a militant drove an explosive-laden vehicle into a bus in Balwama, which is in the district, uh, which is a, a district in the Jammu and Kashmir region of um, the disputed region. Now, the Jesh e Muhammad militant group has already claimed the attack. Now, here's the thing. Here's what's going on. In response to the attack, India has blamed Pakistan. They haven't blamed this militant group. They're blaming Pakistan for allowing such groups to operate with relative ease, and also recently announced it will revoke the most favoured nation status that India had agreed with Pakistan, which effectively affords trade concessions between those two countries. But that's not all, because escalating tensions severely between the two nuclear nations, India has vowed a jaw-breaking response. So, can you believe it? They vowed, India is saying, that they are going to respond in a jaw-breaking response. Now, in response today, Pakistan's Prime Minister, no stranger, uh, is Imran Khan, of course, announced today that Pakistan was ready to respond if India attacks. Now, the government of Pakistan is clearly saying that it was not involved in any way, means or form in the attack, which it said was conceived, planned and executed indigenously. Well, joining us on the line right now, we've got a very special guest. It's Usman Zahid, who is the pr uh, producer for BBC Pakistan, and we're very lucky to have him joining us. We'll also be joined by Kamal Haider from Al Jazeera Pakistan very shortly as well. Usman Saab, Salaam Alaikum. Alaikum Salaam. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you so much for joining us. You're live on the radio here in the United Kingdom. 
Osman, um, what's your analysis on the current tensions between India and Pakistan? Do you see this escalating out of control into some kind of um, tension that could lead to war? Uh, well, it is uh, quite tense now. I mean, uh, since after the killing of 40 Indian paramilitary troops uh, last week, so in in uh, Indian occupied Kashmir, and you know, it's a uh, uh, when the claim came uh, uh, from this Jashe Muhammad, a proscribed organization. I mean, though they like the you know the suicide bomber was like uh, the video which was released soon after the uh, the bombing. Because clearly he said that he's from uh, Indian administered Kashmir and not from Pakistan. Mm. So even then, this uh, Jashe Muhammad, since uh, they have uh, you know their main offices and their main leadership is uh, in, in Pakistan, so that's why India put a lot of pressure and they basically use media, they use all the kind of uh, groups, lobbying, and all kind of uh, you know tactics which they use normally in this type of situation. But this time, I I can tell, like, there are a lot of, uh, you can say, the people who were not buying this kind of narrative because it uh, India has done so many times, you know, times and again, whenever this they, have, they are going into election or there's any important visit in Pakistan or something which is important happening, which, you know, has overall impact in the region. So there's something similar happened. Mm. And uh, again, this uh, uh, word, you know, they start uh, talking about war and tension and, you know, yeah. just make a headline using media. It's not first time happening. We remember so many times in the past when the uh, in parliament was attacked and even this, um, you know, the yeah. In the past many times, we've seen same, same episodes. Understood, understood. Usman Zahid, so just hold the line there because I want to go to Kamal Hadar, um, who's Al Jazeera Pakistan as well. He's joining us live on the radio as well. Uh, Kamal Hadar, sir, thanks for joining the show again. Salam alaikum. Thank you so much for joining us. We always love your analysis as well, Kamal Saab. So just tell us um, what's your interpretation of the current escalation between India and Pakistan. Is this, as Usman Zahid Saab points out, actually just political games at play? Or is there something serious ensuing here which everyone needs to pay attention to? Well, first of all, I think you have to focus on the problem of Kashmir. This is an outstanding issue between India and Pakistan for the last over 70 years. And it is unfortunate that the international community is refusing to admit that this is a serious crisis. Uh, both countries are standing on the brink of another confrontation. And it's important for people to realize that this is an indigenous movement inside Kashmir. When you use overwhelming lethal force against ordinary people, the resentment will grow. You've seen it in Palestine. It's a clear example. I mean, you cannot uh, suppress people by brutal force. So I think what is uh, important is for both countries to realize that they must talk to each other to try to resolve this. I'll give you a very small example. I mean, yeah. whenever Indians and Pakistanis meet overseas, whether it's in England or whether in other countries, they become the best of friends. 
But when you look at the political leadership, they're always trying to get mileage out of incidents such as this. You have to understand that over 70,000 Pakistanis have been killed since the U.S. war on terror. And nobody has ever pointed fingers and threatened to declare war. So I think cool heads are needed. And I think everybody knows that in Modi's India, the myth of secularism is blown out of water. And you suddenly find that the minorities are on the receiving end. Hindu um, 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 extremist groups, uh, they are active. Uh, they are but but Kamal Haddad, sir, if I may interrupt you just for a moment, because if, if there are Indians listening to this program, especially those who support the BJP, they will say, what are you talking about? I mean, what are the Pakistanis talking about? Not just you, yourself, but I mean, you're interpreting what's on the ground, and I understand that as a reporter, but... Indians will say, actually, what are, what are you talking about? What are, Pakistan, what are Pakistanis talking about? There are terrorists on the Pakistani side, on the Jammu and Kashmir side of Pakistan, and they are attacking Indian government forces. Something has to be done about that, surely. Well, you see, there's a saying that one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yes, indeed. This kind of language is not going to help you. Both the Indians and Pakistanis have to realize that they're poor nations. They have huge issues to discuss. Let's go back in history. I think Jawaharlal Nehru, the Indian Prime Minister, agreed to a plebiscite in Kashmir for the people of Kashmir to decide on their own which way they wanted to go. And you see the resentment against the Kashmiris inside India. I'm not making this up. This mm. is international news now. Kashmiri students are on the receiving end. Mm. I think India and Pakistan have a lot to gain by cooperating and talking about all outstanding issues. No conflict can be uh, resolved through wars or fighting. You saw what happened in Afghanistan. The Americans came. They wanted to crush the Taliban. They said, we're going to wipe them out. It's been 18 years, and today mm. they're admitting that this is an unwinnable war. All problems need a political solution, and war is no way to go forward because war would be catastrophic for both countries, and it would endanger the whole region. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think um, the the endangerment here is that both nations here have nuclear weapons. They are both nuclear neighbors, as we like to call them sometimes. And do you think, Kamal Hadar Saab, with your experience, your extensive experience of Pakistani and Indian politics, do you think that um, the tensions are so high that if India was to make a move against Pakistani territory, that Pakistan would respond? Because that's the sentiment we are seeing, at least in the West um, and on the Western media here. Well, obviously, if you go against any country, they're not going to just watch the show uh, from the sidelines. Everybody, if they come under attack, Pakistan's Prime Minister Imran Khan, he's a sportsman. He's, he's a, a figure who's known in India. There are a lot of people who love him in India because they love cricket. And he sent a very clear signal. He said, let's talk about everything. Let's, for the first time, talk about terrorism. All outstanding issues, but denying the problem that it doesn't exist is not going to help. And there is an uh, feeling there that Mr. Modi is trying to use this as an election gimmick. 
Mm. He wants to galvanize the right. far right uh, uh, vote in India, and that's something you know that he's playing with fire. Okay, I so this is this is um, electioneering, yeah, electioneering yeah, at play. Yeah, okay, Kamal Hadrasab, just hold the line for a moment because I do want to make sure that we get everyone involved in this program. We're going to go back to Usman Zahid from the BBC as well in a moment. But listeners, if you want to take part in the conversation, we are getting a few calls, people calling up. You're calling um, our mobile phone. Call up on 01582 481 822 if you want to take part in tonight's conversation. 01582-481822. Are you or do you identify yourself as a Kashmiri? I want to speak to you if you are a Kashmiri. What do you think about what's going on right now between India and Pakistan? Uh, I would love opinions as well calling up on tonight's program. I know that you have views on Shamima Begum as well, of course, the ISIS bride. Um, now, we know that Shamima Begum was one of the three British women who previously attended the Bethnal Green Academy in London and she fled from London to the so-called Islamic State back in 2015. Now she's given birth to a baby and she wants to come back home. But our quote-unquote Pakistani, quote-unquote Muslim, uh, quote-unquote ethnic minority, quote-unquote Sajid Javid, Foreign Secretary, um, Simon Jarvis. So, yes, lots of lots of quote unquotes there. But I mean, this guy is amazing. I've got a view on Shamima Begum, but do you? 01582481822. We'll be talking about that topic in about 15 minutes' time. But I do want to go straight back to um, the topic at hand. We're talking about India versus Pakistan, especially with the rising tensions in the uh, that part of the world. And we have Hussein on the line. Salam alaikum, Hussein. Yeah, what is fun, bro? Thanks for calling, FNL. Uh, what's your comment, bro? Well, I think that personally, the Kashmiris need to get their own vote, bro. Especially on the other side of the border. Our mm. brothers on the other side of the border, they're getting tortured. Realistically, the Indians are putting a lot of pressure on them. Mm. So they need to, they need to get their vote. They need to get their voice out. And that's the way it is. And someone needs to stand up for them. No one's standing up for them. Are you Kashmiri yourself, Hussein? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And what goes through your mind when you see, you know, so-called, um, you know, you know, what India calls terrorist groups attacking Indian troops on the border as well? Do you not feel like India has a right to retaliate? Bro, well, end of the day, that can be all a setup, innit? Mm. That can be them just saying, you know what, it's Pakistani troops. Pakistani troops or Pakistani people uh, on this side of the border, Kashmiris on this side, they're attacking the people. If they are even attacking, they're backing their brothers up, you know? Mm -hmm. Because obviously they're getting tortured. Mm -hmm. so they need to come to some kind of agreement. They need to pull out. They need to give them a voice. And that's how it is. All right, Hussein. It sounds like you've got the family in the back there as well. Jazakallah for calling. Keep listening to tonight's program, Hussein, and listeners, because we're going to be talking about Shamima Begum next. You might have a comment on that. But thanks for calling, Hussein. appreciate your call. Thanks for your comments. I mean, this is a very common concern that a lot of people I hear who are very passionate, Kashmiris, they call themselves, right? I mean, a lot of Kashmiris believe that, yeah, there is a gross injustice happening by India and therefore something needs to be done, especially what the caller just now just said. And he's got a very interesting point. Uh, Zafrasab, anything from you? 
Well, it's, it's not just uh, the Kashmiris, it's the Pakistanis. And I, if I remember correctly, the 5th of February is the day to mark uh, our, I, I guess, the, the, the Kashmir day, effectively. And it was basically there were people as far as Indonesia uh, who basically came out in support of the Kashmiris. So I think there is a, there is a struggle going on, struggle for freedom uh, of a people who, are, who have been denied, as the caller said, denied their basic right uh, to, to have a say in, in their lives. Uh, and, and there is a heavy military presence on the Indian side of the Kashmir uh, and uh, you know this this attack it needs to be seen in that light it's a conflict between and an, a regime basically who's taking over that that part of the country and a resistance movement who doesn't want them there got it so thanks for that I'm gonna go back to Kamal Hadar in a minute um, he's also on the line from Al Jazeera very very respected reporter I really like that man's opinions but just before we do that we're gonna go to Ajmal on the line who's just called through Salaam alaikum Ajmal Alaikum salam uh, What's your point on this, bro? What's your What's your take? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Kashmiri, well, quote unquote Kashmiri, British born. Um, I just feel like both states um, are using Kashmir as a, like a proxy, you know, for their own political agendas. Um, are you, are you, do you identify as Pakistani, Ajmal? Are you, would you call yourself no, a Pakistani? No, I, I I call myself Kashmiri, mm-hmm. um, but there's a there's a historical context to that. You know, I don't particularly agree with the creation of Pakistan, but that's for another matter. Um, but to me, what it seems like is the amount of lies, atrocities, and, you know, the things that have gone on in Kashmir, um, they should leave the, the nation as it is, the people as it is. This is including Pakistan, you know, and let them be let them be on their own and, and form their own governments, um, you know, have their own so, state. So you want an cetera. independent state separate from Pakistan and India? You want, you, want, you, want, you want Kashmir as, a, as its own country, basically? Absolutely. That, that, that seems like the only viable solution. Uh, because they just... Oh, come on, country. bro. Uh, bro, I wanted to give you a Pakistani passport, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's not, about, it's not about having a passport from Pakistan or <laughs> yeah. from India. I, if, there was, if there was peace in Kashmir, Gee. you know, I would say get rid of Pakistan and become India. You know, as long oh, as there was, oh, as long as the, you know, the atrocities. I got hardcore Kashmiri here, Zemsa. So, oh, oh, you're a hardcore oh, oh, Kashmiri oh. man. No, it's not hardcore. It's just it's hardcore peace and love. That's what it is. Fair enough. No, yeah. I take that. I take if that on board. If, so see, I, I, look, I, I, if I give you an option, if I give you a simple scenario of ending the violence, the rape, the murder of innocent people, right? Yeah. But you have to give up your Pakistani nationality for that. Would you take it? Do you know what? That's a very complicated question. You know why? Because there's a lot of parallels to what you're saying between um, what, between India and Pakistan with Kashmir in the middle and yeah. I would say Israel and Palestine as well. Except exactly. Here's exactly. the difference. Here's the difference, Ajmal. The difference is the Palestinians can't fight back, but the Pakistanis can. The Pakistanis but, have got a formidable what, army and that's where this sure, becomes would, a bit dangerous. Ajmal, I need to move on, but I really appreciate you calling. I'd like you to call back, if you like, on the Shamima Begum topic, because I reckon you're going to have an opinion or two. Before I go back to Kamal Hada, we've got Umar on the line as well. Or Omar? Omar, salam alaikum. Is it Umar or Omar? Uh, welcome to uh, Omar, I think. I know this voice. This is Omar from St. Albans. That is like guilty as charged. First of all, Omar, it's Umar, okay? Yeah, let's get let's get the pronunciation straight, all right? <laughs> Go on, man. Go for it. What's, what's your point? Uh, my point is I have no idea why the Kashmiri um, people in Kashmir, they are so credulous and so willing to become Pakistani. And this naturally will infuriate uh, Pakistani's enemy, India. Why don't they want to be independent? 
we've got in Pakistan, they don't have that much going for them. It's not like USA or anything. And uh, it's, so that's basically my point. I look, try to be independent, say we want to be Kashmir, we want Azad Kashmir, mm-hmm. and the other part of Kashmir, we want. We don't want to be the part of Pakistan. Every time we see them, they're walking around with those Pakistani flags. Yeah. But yet, the people in Pakistan, they're walking around with British flags. We want to be <laughs> Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's, there's a, definitely a contradiction there, Omar. I, I hear you. I've got to move on, Omar. Thanks for the call. Maybe call back for the Shamima Begum topic um, in a bit. But let me go back to Kamal Hadir Saab because we've only got a minute left and I really want him to have the last say. Uh, Kamal Hadir Saab, you've heard some of our callers. What's your what's your response? What, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Obviously, we have to be... Democratic. Um, broad-minded <laughs> enough to accept that. Yeah. But having said that, you cannot have a landlocked country which is not friendly to its neighbors. Supposedly, we have an independent Kashmir, if that's what the people of Kashmir want. But who are they going to be allied with? Are they going to be allied with an army that is responsible for all the mayhem? I'm in Pakistani mm. side of Kashmir right now. Mm-hmm. I see people walking around freely. There are no barricades. There is no military on the streets. Mm. And everybody knows, the whole international community knows that there is more than 500,000 Indian troops in a tiny place, mm. uh, which is almost 10 uh, civilians to a soldier. There you go. That's there a heavily go. militarized zone. And uh, if you really look at also the bashing of the Kashmiris, everybody, you know, especially the... I'm not saying that everybody in India is uh, a narrow-minded. There are sure, a lot sure. of same voices in India who feel that Kashmir is slipping out of Indian control. So those yeah. are Indians who are talking about this ground reality. Kamal Hadar Saab, we've got to leave it there, but I really appreciate your time on Friday Night Live once again. That was Kamal Hadar Saab from Al Jazeera. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, Shamima Begum is next. Stay tuned on Friday Night Live. We'll be right back. Assalamu alaikum, this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to part two of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live. That's right, you're joining me, Abdul Akbar Raif, live from Inspire FM Studios here in Luton. Uh, we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight, and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby, and Peterborough through our partner stations across the nation. So, welcome to all of you. Of course, we've got an action packed show tonight. We've already kicked off Pakistan versus India, and of course, we're not talking cricket, we're talking about potentially war. I mean, Zavisab, I don't know about you, but um, one of the callers reckons that Kashmir needs to be an independent state. He doesn't even want to be a Pakistani, he doesn't want to be an Indian, he wants to be a Kashmiri. What's your take on that? Is that is that, is that a popular opinion from your experience? Well, uh, there, there is a body of opinion in Kashmir that they think uh, that um, the best way to get independence, I guess, is to uh, aim for independent Kashmir because it's an unresolved issue. Mm. I think Atik will tell you the legal side of things. Uh, unresolved legal issue from 1947. So yeah. if you went for the independent option, well, that's a better option. Yeah. Uh, but I think personally, from as far as I know, I'm a Kashmiri as well. Um, as far as I know, surrounded by Kashmiris. I know. So are you, mate. So, Am I? Yeah, yeah you I, are, I, mate. Well, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but, stop but, it now. 
But that's for Jalen, man. Don't go there, man. Yeah, don't go there. Yeah. So there's a body of opinion, right? But I think it's debatable whether that's a popular opinion or not. But everybody carries a Pakistani passport, and whenever Pakistan plays cricket, everyone gets their Pakistani flags out and support you, Pakistan. So there you go. All right. Perfect. Thank you for that, uh, listeners. If you do have any more comments on that, we're happy to take your uh, comments if you like. But I do want to move on to my next topic. But before we do that, don't forget, we're talking about Gavin Shuka in about half an hour's time. That's Luton South MP, formerly of the Labour Party, now has defected. Um, one of many MPs from both Labour Party and the Conservatives that are effectively creating their own independent group. What does that mean? Well, Marcus Kearney, chair of the Luton South CLP, is joining us in the studio. We'll see what he has to say. And if you've read The Independent of late, you'll see that he's uh, slightly upset with Gavin. Uh, we did reach out to Gavin's team and Gavin himself, but he couldn't join us today. I know he does make an effort to join us when he can. We're also joined by Dr. Stephen Barber in half an hour's time from the University of Bedfordshire. He'll be giving us his take on Gavin Shuka as well, amongst many other things. Lots coming up, that and more, especially Brexit as well. What can we do about that? Also in about an hour's time. Stay tuned. Lots of stuff coming up, but right now, I want to talk about something that's been going on over the last 10 days or so. I'm sure if you've been watching the news, you would have seen this in some way, shape or form. It's practically been headlines on all the major radio stations, including Inspire FM and uh, the BBC, Sky News, CNN. Everyone's been covering Shamima Begum, the so-called ISIS bride. Now, the question I'm asking tonight, of course, is she a friend or foe? Now, if you don't know who Shamima Begum is, let me very quickly give you some background. She was one of the three... British women who previously attended the Bethnal Green Academy in London before famously leaving home in February 2015 to join the so-called Islamic State in Syria. Now, that's today, Shamima is 19 years of age and she's a woman and she's given birth to her baby and wants to return home to the safety and relative security of this United Kingdom. Now that said, our very own Sajid Javid, the Home Secretary, revoked her British passport just a few days ago, a move that Jeremy Corbyn referred to as extreme just today. Now, my question is, what do you reckon? Now, she isn't accused of murder, but she is accused of betraying Britain by committing the crime of joining a prescribed terror group. But my question is, is that a crime that warrants being stripped of being British? Was Sajid Javid, our Home Secretary, right to revoke her passport? Give me a call on 01582 481822 now. I've got an excellent panel joining me in the studio to talk about this topic, and I can't wait to hear what they think about this. Of course, joining me in the studio is Atik Malik, no stranger to this show and to this station, local Luton lawyer and also famous face around. And superstar. Various, yeah, superstar is the only way to call him. <laughs> and of course, no other stranger to this program. <clears throat> Rihanna Faisal joins us as well, and she's no stranger to this station and this program. We're very happy to have her join us and share her perspectives as well. Uh, she's the co-chair of Faces. So um, let's start off with you, Rihanna. Rihanna, what's, what, what's been going through your mind as you've seen this particular story unfold with Shamima Begum? Um, Salam alaikum. So, I've written about this, and I think 
many of you will have seen um, what I have written. I'm going to just backtrack a little bit on your introduction there. Um, because what you said was Shamima Begum was one of the three women who travelled from Britain to Syria. Yeah. She was one of the three girls, one of the three children who travelled from Britain to Syria. And I think within the the way that the, the, the story has broken, Shamima has come in herself to represent ISIS and all the venom that people feel towards that. And I suspect from some sections of our own community, all of the distancing we want to do from ISIS is, you know, Shamima has become a proxy for that. Um, but I think no matter what we think about where she is now and the decisions that she's made, I think it's just entirely remiss of us to ignore the conditions that got her there in the first place. Um, and I am, as the chair of uh, FACES, which is um, Faiths Against Child Sexual Exploitation, I've no doubt and have taken you know, no hesitation in describing her as a victim of child sexual exploitation. So you reckon that she was groomed I, by uh, some ISIS people in Syria? So it's interesting that when the girls left, that's exactly what the police and the Home Office said about them, that they were groomed online and they described mm. them as victims. Mm. She has now become this great evil that, that she's more into mm. um, in the media but that's exactly how the Home Office and the police described her mm. uh, when she left um, and actually everything about her and her circumstances mm. um, says the same the fact that we call her an ISIS bride I, again I'm really really uncomfortable mm. with that kind of tabloid moniker because mm. we're talking about a 15 year old child um, and at 15 children cannot give consent but you have to understand that... I don't have to do anything, but I'll, I'll consider your point. <laughs> I repeat, you know, you, you, try, you can try to understand that the Western media and those living in the West, the indigenous people of this country, white people, I'm going to call them... Not they, us, because we, we, we've learned we're not indigenous. No. Yeah, absolutely. But when we look at the interviews of Shamima, um, you need to be honest. You've got to say that she is a woman today. Yes, she might have been a child or an under 16 year old when she traveled out. She traveled without her parental consent. True. But when you look at the interviews on Sky News, on the BBC, which I'm sure you've extensively yep. analyzed and tried to understand, um, she is very clear in her posturing towards this prescribed terrorist organization according to the British government. Do you accept that the so-called Islamic State is a terrorist organization? Oh, of course, yeah. There you go. So she has flown knowingly to um, whoever's groomed her and she has actually married one of the quote-unquote enemy combatants. That's the argument. So why on earth should the British people, the Home Secretary, let somebody like that back into the country. That's the argument. What right does she have to return to this country when she did not even consider that, even in her interviews just a few days ago? Yeah. Um, she was almost glorifying some of the things that the so-called Islamic State were that's doing. Right, that's rubbish, so, so, so there are, that's there the are, argument. I'm just putting that's forward the argument. argument. That, that's the argument. That's the argument. Right, right and, or not, that's the argument. And, and yeah. you're right, that's how it's being expressed. Yeah. So there's a number of things that we pick up right. on. Yeah. So the first thing we would say is that I think that even if she is the devil incarnate, she is Britain's devil incarnate, and Britain should deal with its own problems, full stop. But secondly, 
No, I've, she's not. She's she's a she she is. Um, so the argument is again, if I was Sajid Javid, which I'm glad I'm not, I wouldn't like to be in his shoes. But if I was, he him, can posture all he likes on it. But no, she's but British. Question, uh, no, well, well, she's she, not. She might be eligible for another nationality. Bangladeshi. And but, Bangladesh has said she's not. So essentially, she's British. And there may be a time, and he is suggesting that there may be a time where he can palm her off to somebody else. But as we speak, mm. um, and Atik will talk more about the legal aspect of that. But I'll, as I'll we speak, yeah, yeah. But yeah, as we I'll speak, yeah. she's a British citizen. So as okay. far as I'm concerned she's our responsibility yeah. secondly the really important point is yeah. is understanding the impact of a grooming so to suggest that a child that has been groomed also has agency over its actions sure. is is just complete cognitive dissonance the two things just do not go together but also the third thing that people seem to ignore completely again because I think she's become this kind of proxy for ISIS in general is the impact of trauma so here you have a 15 year old child groomed online traveled abroad married a man almost married we say a man twice her age and in that time she's had three children two of whom have died suffered starvation and seen all sorts of horrific (laughs) things and she's been indoctrinated and she has and we and I draw the very direct comparison to CSE because I think the same people who are now hanging, drawing and quartering Shamimra, the same people who, when we were talking about street grooming cases were saying, isn't it awful, nobody cares about these victims. Actually, very similar things happened to those. Those young women became criminalised. I put to you again, um, and this is the issue. I think the interviews that she gave have, have really changed public opinion about her. Um, if those interviews did not exist, people would probably tend to agree with what you're saying. But you know, you can't you can't misread what somebody's saying on uh, on, on video. I mean, she she is very clear about. I, I think there is deliberate misreading actually of those right. interviews. I mean, I watched the interview that was taken at the point just after she'd given birth, mm. and frankly, I was ashamed that anybody in, with any sense of decency felt it was okay to stick a camera in the face of a woman who'd just given birth, wincing in pain actually as she was speaking. But if we really examine the things she was saying, so she was saying things like. Well, that's what they told me so I believed them she's giving clear signs mm. that this is somebody who is indoctrinated we choose not to hear and again I'm going to draw the direct comparison to, to, to victims in places like Telford and Rochdale we chose not to see that abuse it's not that they weren't speaking up about but just it to be clear, but she, there were clear signs she, she, and there are clear signs now but as just well. to be clear she contact she she wanted to go on the interview she 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 wanted she wants to come back to the UK and therefore she was interviewing willingly voluntarily um, she wasn't forced to so, take so, part in the interview. Do you sure, accept I, that? I, I, no, well. I think it's really difficult well, she now. The UK. I think she it's really. She wants to get a message across. I she has, to, she has yeah, to so she, so she is, and she's she so is to, making. So to say that she was recently um, had just given birth, and why why were the media organisations interviewing her? Is slightly skewed and and not very fair. I don't think so because okay. because we have to recognise and we're failing to recognise that what we have in front of us and we may think what she the the the, the road that she's gone down is ab- abhorrent. We may think that she has been involved in abhorrent things. We don't know actually, but we may think this. Well, she's seen she's seen heads uh, heads chopped off and she's she, walked past. She them. she has. Yeah. Do you know and you know I am and, twice and her age and, and I have probably seen and, and quite she, abhorrent things, well, but I'm not responsible. 
responsible for everything I've seen. You have, you so, have, yeah. so we don't want trial by media. People have seen, seen violence right on video games and such, right, and become immune to it. Yeah, but this isn't the video game. This it is, is so-called But it makes a very valid point about the impact of trauma exactly, and how exactly. you become desensitised to mm, that. Mm. But what we're having here is a trial by media and assertions made by media. And I wonder, actually, how they will, uh, over the long term, how she can ever have a, uh, have a, a fair trial okay. um, because of the irresponsibility of, of, of our media. Thank you so much. Rihanna Faisal, appreciate that comment. We've got Atik Malik here as well. And Atik, um, I would love to know what the legal angle is here because I'm sure everyone, like 99% of the British population, probably raised their eyebrow when they heard that the Home Secretary had revoked her passport, her citizenship of the United Kingdom. As far as we were aware, she was only a citizen. As Rihanna pointed out, she's not a Bangladeshi citizen. In fact, the Bangladeshi government has turned around and said, um, she's not one of us. So if she's not one of them, and she's no longer a British citizen, then that means she's stateless, and that's not allowed, is it? No, that's illegal under international law. And what's quite interesting is, and I published this on my social media um, accounts just yesterday, I think it was, mm. um, that um, the Home Office um, released a circular 2018 on anti-terror legislation and how to treat people in this particular situation. It actually was describing this exact situation. And that circular was actually, the foreword of it is written by Sajid Javid, and it describes a young girl in this situation Mm. being brought back to the UK, being de-radicalised, be, you know, the child being cared for, etc, etc. So it's amazing that it's such a strong U-turn that when a situation actually presented itself, um, the complete opposite happened. And what really it shows is what situation we're all in. And I'm, I'm really glad it's happened, to be honest with you, because it opens everyone's eyes, that we are living in a, in a state of two-tier citizenship. Mm -hmm. It is now abundantly clear if you look at Windrush, you look at the hostile environment policies and now you look at this that if you're brown or you're black you are a different type of citizen than if you're white mm. that's basically what it comes that's down very to now interesting, yeah. it is clear mm. racism mm. and you know it, it, people are on uproar across the across the country this is the thing i mean i i just can't stop not thinking about the fact that if shamima was white if her name was sarah and she happened to go to the US to some cult and was maybe groomed by them and this cult was banned by the United Kingdom and she wanted to come back to the UK would Sajid Javid have the same approach to maybe a white woman um, who's joined an illegal cult and wants to come back, would he revoke her passport? That's the question, yeah, well, right? Well, first of all, it's obvious that he wouldn't for two reasons. Mm. Number one, the legislation that is relied upon, if you look at the reading of it, the only people that fit into that legislation are people from BAME backgrounds, okay? Secondly... So, so black, so what, what, Asian minority ethnic. Mm. Secondly, we have got a situation in England, we and possibly still have, might have it resurfacing, the IRA. Mm. The IRA carried out more terrorist atrocities in England than any other. Um, no passports terrorist. being revoked there. Nothing happening there. Yeah. And, uh, no prevent. Yeah. Uh, no um, deportation back to Ireland for you know, uh, I don't know, speeding offence. I mean, we've had look, look at Windrush and some of the cases we've had recently. It's been shocking. There was a plane leaving last week um, to Jamaica where people were being deported for allegedly serious offences, and then it transpired there were a couple of people on that plane which were not being prosecuted for serious offences. 
offences. But it's obvious that if you are of a certain background, you are what you are seeing is the hostile environment policy in full effect. Okay, thanks for that, Atik. Uh, we've got a special guest on the line right now as well, joining us. We do have Masoud Ahmed um, in this um, on, on the line as well, who's from the Muslim Council of Britain. We'll be going to him in a moment, and also we have a um, uh, Norshad Anjum, who's a psychologist, to get his take on what could be going through the mind of Shamim Mabeg. And we'll come back to you as well, Atik and Rihanna, in a moment. But let me go to um, our guest on the line. Um, it's Sultana Tafadar who actually is a member of uh, Number 5 Chambers and she specialises in crime and international human rights. Sultana, uh, good evening. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Sultana, if you could speak as loud as possible because your line seems a little bit on the low side. But let me... Okay. Uh, um, you probably could hear Atik and um, Rihanna speaking earlier, I hope. Um, but tell me, Sultana, what's your take? Is the current action by our Home Secretary legal or illegal? Uh, well, it would appear that it is illegal. I think when initially the decision was made, uh, he on some erroneous basis decided that she was some kind of a dual citizen without having actually investigated the situation. And of course then said that she can be stripped of her citizenship. Now, there is, people can, in certain situations, be stripped of their citizenship, but it's when they are a national of another country also, so when they have dual nationality. Mm. What international law doesn't allow is for any government to strip anybody of their citizenship and essentially render that person stateless, so it means they don't have a state. And that's effectively what is done. So I'm not sure how he came to the conclusion that he could strip off a citizenship. I think it's been a case of... Um, uh, well, the conclusion is that she's a, she's, a, she's a Bangladeshi and her mother's a Bangladeshi. She's under 21 years of age and therefore she's still eligible for Bangladeshi citizenship. Um, and therefore she does have... Uh, she, she can become a Bangladeshi citizen. That's the rationale I believe the Home Office is using. Well, we've we Bangladesh has come out to say there's no way they're going to mm. grant her citizenship, and they don't want her there. Uh, there was also um, a prospect or talk of perhaps she could go uh, because her husband is Dutch. Maybe she could get citizenship mm. there. They've come out and said no. So actually, um, she doesn't have citizenship anywhere, and she won't be able to get it anywhere. Um, but what's particularly concerning about the decision of the Home Secretary is it's actually um, a discriminatory decision. What it means that if somebody is ethnically um, from another country, even though they're born and brought up here, even if they're second, third, fourth generation immigrant, mm. what effectively his decision says is that if you're an immigrant, you'll always stay an immigrant. So this is the top... So, so Atik Malik in the studio effectively alluded to this, a two-tier citizenship of being British. Yeah. yeah. If you're Anglo-Saxon, That's scary. you're white, effectively. It's a, wow. it's a very scary decision. I mean, it's effectively saying if you're white, um, Anglo-Saxon, you can't be stripped of your citizenship. You're safe. Mm. But it doesn't matter how long you're in the, you've been in this country. It doesn't matter if you were born and brought up here. doesn't matter if your grandparents came in. You, your family so technically speaking, sorry to interrupt you, but technically yeah. speaking, even Sajid Javid could have his citizenship revoked under those terms. 
<laughs> yes, him oh and my his God. children, actually. Yes, it might come back to Oh, my God. Him. Listen, listen, yeah. um, Sultana Tefadar, we really appreciate you calling from Number 5 Chambers, specialising in international human rights. I really appreciate your time, but time is short, and I need to get through all yes, my other course. guests as well. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, let's go back to my guest here in the studio. Um, I'm going to come back to Rihanna and Atik in a moment, but we do also have Norshad and Jim. Um, Norshad, one of the comments that Rihanna made earlier, which I think resonates um, to, to a lot of people, is that this is no ordinary woman we're seeing right now. This is a woman potentially under duress, um, potentially fearing for her life. So what she is saying may not actually be what she believes. Now you've seen the videos, correct? You're nodding. Um, no. On radio, so they can't see you. Um, and also, you've analysed her her verbiage and what she what, she, what she's yeah, effectively yeah. communicating. What's your take? What say you? Is this is this a woman that's showing signs of postnatal depression, duress? What's your take? Oh, uh, when I um, when we when we come to the psychological aspect of this. Uh, uh, we cannot be complete in our analysis till such time that we we go to the roots of all this. And I, I made a comment on one of the posts which Rihanna had also made, uh, written, and it's a very nicely written article and very detailed one. And that is that <clears throat> the, the age group where she belongs to, uh, this is an age group where you can't say that a person's, that a person's personality um, is kind of fixed they change um, with, uh, with, with with very little experiences of their life and she has gone through drastic changes now with this uh, argument I start from why she had to um, she had to be a victim at the first place and uh, in that it's very important that why uh, for me, the important thing is uh, that there are there may be a lot more Shamimas there uh, in the making yeah. who are who already believe in this what she has done, and even the very story of her do not deter them from being one of one of one of of, of the likes of hers. It's, like it's going to make them more radical, right? I mean, when exactly. they when they see this quote unquote oppression happening to their sister Shamima Begum, yeah. oh my God, it's true. The British government is evil. British society is evil. Look what they did to her. I mean, Atik, what, what's your take? I mean, is is that what could be going through the minds of people that you've been talking to? Well, that's what's one of the, always be one of the arguments uh, against prevent. Yeah. Um, because with prevent, um, we've always said that it's not treating the cause of uh, radicalization, it's mm. cause and symptoms, and the cause has to be foreign policy. The way Britain conducts itself abroad and, uh, and its policies are what shape people. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean that there is a genuine concern that this sort of behaviour would feed right into that problem. Indeed, I want to quickly go to somebody on the line as well because he's been waiting so patiently. We've got Masood, uh, Masood Ahmed, who's um, from the Muslim Council of Britain. Salaam Masood. Thanks for joining us and thank you so much for being patient. Um, we will continue this particular topic after the break as well. Hopefully our guests can stay behind for a few extra minutes. Um, Masood, what's your take? What's the M MCB's position on Shamima Begum? Uh, is she guilty or not guilty? Or, sh or should, should she have her citizenship revoked? Well, I think if you ask if she's guilty or not guilty, we don't know because uh, she hasn't been tried yet. Mm. Uh, so, if, if anything, she deserves the uh, uh, ex, you know, the fair, fairness and justice so that she can put her case and 
defend herself if if there are allegations. Uh, but uh, certainly, what we are seeing is that, uh, like some of your other guests have said, that it seems like it's a trial by media, uh, and uh, that really is not right. That's not a fair trial, uh, is it? Really, by media? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it clearly is not. So she deserves to face the face the justice system mm. that we have in Britain and she there is no doubt she's a British citizen uh, and any decision taken to revoke her citizenship it seems like was done in haste without proper advice without proper legal advice it would seem uh, so you know this is, I think the Secretary of State has some serious questions to answer uh, and uh, you know, if we make these decisions which affect people's lives uh, and has implications for many more, mm. then it needs to be done in a fair and proper manner. Gotcha. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate your time. Masood Ahmed from the Muslim Council of Britain. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. Oh, my God. This is crazy. I mean, honestly, we're having... I mean, look, we've just had a barrister on the line. We have a lawyer in the studio right now, a solicitor in the studio, telling us that we're headed potentially in an unprecedented place. This could be that if you are Pakistani and British, you could potentially have your British citizen revoked even though you were born here. That's scary stuff. We're going to continue this topic after these messages. Friday Night Live, do not go away. Stay tuned. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum, welcome back to part three of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live on Friday, the 22nd of Feb 2019. I'm your host, Abdul Akbar, and it's great to be back here in the Inspire FM studios in Luton. Of course, we're beaming out to the good people of Luton and surrounding areas tonight, and also to the good people of Sheffield, Nottingham, Derby, and Peterborough. Coming up in a moment, we're talking about Gavin Shuka. That's right, he has left the Labour Party, um, especially he's the MP for Luton South, and he is no longer part of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. We'll find out more about that and speak to some members of the Luton South Labour Party to find out what they think about Mr. Shuka now. Is he a friend or a foe? More of that in a moment. But I want to go back to our story on Chamima Bergen because this is very important. Frankly, listeners, I've heard some very, very scary stuff. And the scariest thing I've heard tonight is not heads being found in dustbins or uh, young girls being um, groomed and uh, flying off to Syria via Turkey, but whilst that is very scary. The scariest thing for me and potentially you, especially if you are non-Indigenous uh, uh, member of this community, you know, you're, 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 sorry, was that, Sarihana? If you're brown. If you're brown. Any shade. Yeah, any shade of brown. Funny tinged. Um, Fifty shades of brown, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I mean, wherever you, wherever you are, I mean, you know, if you're Pakistani, if you're Indian, if you're black, potentially what Sajid Javed has done, our Home Secretary, by revoking the citizenship of Shamima Begum, like her or loathe her, this is scary territory. This could be the beginning of a new precedent which allows the government to effectively say, if we don't like you, if we don't like what you believe in, if you start to affiliate yourself with groups that we don't like, then you're out. That's a very scary proposition. I mean, Atik, 
tell me one thing. If you were advising the family of Shamima Begum, and, you know, because clearly, you know, if you have a sister, and your sister's gone a bit nuts, whatever the route she's taken, she's gone a bit crazy, she's flown out to Syria without your permission, without your parents' permission, right? And now she's saying, I want to come back, and I'm actually quite scared, and I do regret some of the things that I've done, and I have made some mistakes, and I have seen bad things. I want to come back. If that was my sister, regardless of what she has done, I would still feel for her. I would still love her as her brother. Now, I'll be honest, as a Muslim, as a Pakistani from this country who identifies myself as British and Muslim, I feel right now for Shamima Begum. Now, I don't like what she did, and I wouldn't approve of what she did, but the fact that the British government has had this approach towards her hurts me. And it hurts me because it seems like an injustice. Because I think what Sajid Javid did has just created more radicals. He's created more fundamentalists, more nutcases who are going to say, there you go, there you go, there is proof that the government is against us. I mean, if you were advising the family of Shamima Begum, what would you say to them now on the back of everything that's going on? Which is, as we've heard from loads of people, probably illegal. Well, as a lawyer to them, you know, I'd be advising them on potentially a judicial review mm. uh, against the Home Office, um, basically saying that their powers, their actions are unlawful and outside the scope of what they should or can do. But on the bigger picture, what I'd be um, saying uh, to people is that where does it stop? A lot of the time what we see is conduct takes place under the guise of anti-terror or something else but then it's rolled out to the rest of the populace in different shapes and forms. I know I keep going back to Windrush but the, 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 there is a lot of similarity here. You had a situation where you were to be, everyone was told really dangerous criminals are going to be deported. Nobody batted an eyelid. We have now have a situation where people are being deported simply because of the colour of their skin and they haven't committed serious offences. You know, it's, it, it's not proven that it, they've committed offences. No, they've committed offences, they've yeah. been convicted, but for minor offences, whereas right. it started off as only serious offences. Yeah. So you've got a situation of where does it stop? But in the case of, sorry to interrupt you, but in the case of Shamima, mm. um, it's not yet, in my, at least in my eyes, from what I can see and, and the evidence in the trial by media, it's not been proven no. that she's committed well, any major offence. Sure, she's yeah. joined an organisation and married somebody, but we don't know what her state of mind That's was. That's exactly right. So you've got a situation where you have got a trial of media taking place. None of the safeguards that are, that are associated with the criminal justice system have been used. Mm. Um, and that's this is what everyone is saying. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn came out very clearly and said that she should be brought back mm. and she should be put on trial if she has done wrong. And the trial process would go through the rights and wrongs of what's happened. And if she's actually a victim, and even in a trial process, she'd be found not guilty. Now, there is a rumour going around, and it could be just unsubstantiated, but there's a rumour going around that part of the reason Sajid Javid did this was because there is a genuine Prime concern. Prime Minister? Um, wants to be Prime Minister? Oh, putting that aside. There, I, 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 He's got political aspirations, for sure. That's it. From a political point of view, yeah. it's a win-win for him, because the far right and you know a lot of people would think, oh yes, he's done he's well, and even if the judge overturns him, which is quite likely, mm. he, he can then still use that later on politically to say, well look, let me loose, this is what I can do for you. But putting <laughs> yeah. all of that aside, what one of the rumours that I've heard is that one of the concerns the Home Office had, and mm. this is just a rumour, that 
they actually don't have sufficient evidence for a criminal trial, which is why he's done this. Mm. So if she came back, she's probably gonna just just going to get away with it. And they're because even to... for a criminal trial, the yeah. first step is you have to have a case to answer. Mm. If you have a case to answer, it then proceeds to the trial process. And then if you the uh, prosecution can show, under the old word, it was beyond reasonable doubt, but now it is used the word, are you sure? The jury have to be sure that they've committed an offence. Yeah. But this may be such a strong case of grooming that it doesn't even get past the first hurdle of a case to answer. Answer, which may may be why the home officer thought well that's going to be an embarrassment for us and Let's she was underage she was 15 yeah. she was under the age of consent etc yeah. etc yeah this is becoming very very interesting Rihanna we've only got a minute or two left on this topic but any other thoughts from you I mean if there are people listening right now tonight and they're wondering what's going on like what do we do um, what kind of action can we take? Um, how can we how how can we express ourselves? What's your take? I'm going to try and make two really quick points. One is that I I get the desire from some sections of the Muslim community to because because she's been made such a proxy for ISIS to say this is not us. Get rid of her. We don't care. What I'm going to make a call to you is to say that we are Muslims. And there is fear, I get, I understand that, but let's try and inject a little bit of taqwa into this conversation and say, you know, how can we embody the mercy, compassion and justice that is so central to Islam? I've laid out, I think, and Atik and I have both got blogs online at the moment, hopefully in, um, Inspire FM can post those, about why this is such a big injustice. Um, so, I, so I'd ask people to read about that, understand that a little bit better. Um, but also... I mean, when I, when I was writing this blog and I was reminded of, again, I'm going to draw comparison to the Telford grooming case where young women were drawn also into criminality and the police have supported a campaign by survivors to say they should not be prosecuted for those offences. Um, but what I, the police would say, and the Home Secretary would say, back to that point, which is they did not join a prescribed terror organisation. You see what I mean? Yes, they were underage, but they, they weren't part of a prescribed terror organisation. What, what, what they did mm. is, in both cases, that they were children being groomed and ended up involved in behaviour that they perhaps would not otherwise be involved yeah, in. Agreed. That's, agreed. The bo- that's the bottom yeah. line. Mm. Um, and if we start from that point, yes, there may have been offences and we can talk about how we deal with that. And yes, you know, people might be upset at where she is. But um, I think whilst we were off air, um, Noshad made a really really important point about Ashana, identity. Our psychologist in the yes. studio. Mm-hmm. He made a really important point about identity. Now, if we are a country that is saying to our young people that you are valuable to us and we want you to be loyal to our nation, this story completely blows that. Absolutely. That, that this is like, you know what, this, there is a two-tier system. Noshad, and final words from you. Yeah, uh, I think uh, the, the schooling over here, especially, it has to bring attention to the identification of children because radicalization the main thing that these people they use is identification and attention mm. which which they should be getting from their family from their friends from the community and from the government so to say but once it is not given to them they find that gap and they just get their attention and they take them away mm. so it is just not one ice which is their ISIS or it's there are some other organizations who are just playing like that I mean, the criminals chance, also I think yeah just a final word from me um, often in these situations we have these um, Muslim and BAME organisations that are prostitution standing up and saying not in my name and all of that well I say very clearly right here right now to Sajid Javid your conduct is not in my name absolutely I'm sure many would agree with that 
Well, on that note, thank you so much to my guests in the studio. We have Rehana Faisal, Atik Malik, and also Norshad Anjum, who is our psychologist, and also uh, Masood Ahmed from MCB for joining us on the line as well. Thank you very much, brothers and sister. Listeners, this is Friday Night Live. Oh my goodness. Have you been affected by that story? Do you have any comments to make? 01582 481822 is the number to call. Um, Abdul Akbar here on the line, ready to take your call. What's your take? Shamima Begum, should she be allowed back in the country? Do you reckon she still is British? Or do you reckon that actually it was right that Sajid Javid actually revoked her citizenship? It's gonna teach her a lesson and it's gonna be potentially a deterrent for others who are thinking of committing her quote-unquote crime. Well, 01582481822 is the number to call. Uh, Zafar Saab? Yes. You know, guests are very interesting here. I mean, uh, the guests that we had here are all unanimous Hmm. that this is a crime in action, right? This is actually something that potentially could result in a two-tier citizenship where if you are non-indigenous white, you could potentially be kicked out because you happen to have an origin other than the great United Kingdom. Yes. Wow. Well, well if, oh if, my God. If, if the radio host of uh, another radio station in London, right, uh, who seems to be very proud of being British, right, is, is worried, then I think we should be worried too. That's why, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know what, I, I, I'm a proud, I'll be honest, I'm, I am a proud Brit, um, but you know what, I'm Muslim first, no doubt about it. You know, if, if Sajid Javid said, pick between your religion and your citizenship, I would choose my religion first. I say that publicly on the radio. But you know what? Where the heck do I go? <laughs> I was born here. I identify as British. I, 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 I live and breathe British culture. Yeah, fair enough. I don't go to the pub because I don't drink. But I know many other British people who are white indigenous that don't drink. They don't, they don't gamble. Um, you know, everyone has their own preferences. So I do adhere to British culture. And you country. I love Only Fools and Horses. All right? I've watched every <laughs> single episode. Surely that qualifies. Uh, surely that qualifies you. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Little Britain and all that stuff we watched when we were growing up. Anyway, listeners, we're going to move on to our next topic because it is a very hot topic. And um, remaining with us in the studio, we do have Atik Malik. But we are joined by another very special guest uh, on the line, Dr. Stephen Barber. Dr. Stephen Barber, good afternoon. Uh, good evening, Evan. Good evening to you. Thank you so much for joining us from the University of Bedfordshire. Um, Dr. Barber, we'll be, we'll be with you in a moment. Uh, lo- I'd love you to hear um, the conversation and take part in it in a moment. Also joining us in the studio is uh, Marcus Kearney, Chair of the Luton South uh, Labour Party. Uh, good evening to you, Marcus. Good evening. Thank you for having me. I've been reading about you, sir in the independent Uh, more about that (laughs) in a moment but this is all of course on the back um of the gavin shuka now uh, gavin shuka is if you don't know especially if you're listening from peterborough nottingham derby and sheffield because this might apply to you one of your mps might also defect to a independent group as they're calling themselves but if you are based in Luton south um you, you may have voted for gavin shuka of labor well in case you didn't hear, he and a bunch of other Labour MPs recently defected from the Labour Party, citing racism and bad handling of Brexit as some of the reasons. Now, they formed a new grouping of MPs, which they're calling the Independent Group. However, um, of course, 
That's frustrated a lot of Labour supporters because now Gavin, who was a staunch Labour Member of Parliament, has now suddenly become somebody else. We're joined in the studio by a very strong personality, of course. Uh, we are joined by Atik Malik. He's very strong. <laughs> but um, Marcus Kern is strong physically as well. He's, he's, got, he's, he's got some muscles on him as well. But Marcus Kern is a chair. So I want to come to you first. And Marcus, you've been in The Independent of late. Um, they've quoted you uh, of saying that, you know, the independent group, not the independent newspaper, but the independent group that Gavin Shuka has joined would be consigned to the dustbin of history. <laughs> Is that you? Did I, they quote you correctly there? They do quote correctly. Sorry, they do quote me correctly, and I stand by every word of it. What's your take? I mean, how do you feel after Gavin made this announcement? When did he make the announcement to the local uh, members? The first we knew of it was on Monday at their press conference. Really? So he didn't even... I mean, Gavin, by the way, I must say, Gavin, we did reach out to him. And we did offer, because Gavin has been uh, a strong member of this program, and he always joins us when he can. He couldn't join us today, um, so I, 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 I will point that out. But you, he didn't actually tell you guys about it. No, he's failed to engage with the local CLP, that's the local constituency Labour Party, for mm. well over a year now. And it doesn't surprise me that he's refused to come or inspire FM, because all he wants to do over this at the moment is to do two camera pieces where he's not challenged on sympathetic media like the BBC. And the reason for that is because he cannot defend his position. He's been out there for a whole week now perpetuating falsehoods. I find it particularly offensive that he's talking about... In, in quotation marks, institutional anti-Semitism within the Labour Party when less than 1% of the membership have been found guilty of that. And also, given the fact that he's completely ignored the BAME community in Luton over issues such as the Windrush scandal, having grown up in a household with a BAME parent and with BAME siblings, I find it particularly offensive. But, I mean, if Gavin was here, he would disagree with you because... I've heard him speak very passionately about BAME issues on this programme, and not just BAME issues, but members of the BAME community, as you know, belong to um, the Muslim faith group, and he has been a vocal advocate of issues affecting the Muslim community, and people have been very happy with him. I don't see why that will stop once he's a part of the independent group. Why should people not continue to support him. He may express support for issues when he thinks it's a vote winner. How many times has he turned up to support a cause before an election, for an example? Mm, well, I can't speak to that. We're going to need him to speak to that. So, okay, fair enough. I mean, Atik, you're a, you're a local Lutonian. Of course, you've been born and raised um, in this neck of the woods. And, of course, you are a very successful lawyer, mashallah, <laughs> in my English accent. Uh, but tell me, um, what, what, what's, what's word on the street? What's word about Gavin's departure from the Labour Party? How is that resonating with the community? Well, with the community, I'd say there's a big sense of relief. Um, really? Yeah, everyone's really pleased um, with, you know, there's parts of the community that didn't believe that he would defect and didn't believe that he was going against Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party. But, but he's been anti-Brexit from, from ages yeah, it's ago, more than right? that. Yeah. It's more than that. I mean, yeah. I, I was never a member of the Labour Party. Um, after the Iraq war, you know, I lost a lot of faith in, in the Labour Party. But it was only after Jeremy Corbyn came forward with his pro-Palestine stance, anti-war stance, anti-austerity stance, anti-privatisation stance, that I thought, you know, there's someone worth supporting. But even then, I wasn't in the Labour Party. 
Do I join the Labour Party after myself and others exposed Gavin Sugar bringing Angela Eagle into this town to try and, try and do a coup against Jeremy Corbyn? And, you know, that sort of behaviour was just disgusting. Mm. Um, and it was after that that I joined. Um, and it was after that that we sort of saw a sort of movement in Luton um, happening, which we, Marcus and I, coined Luton Continua. <laughs> but the go. fact is, um, you know, we'd rather have transparency and know where people stand than pretend to be one thing and then another. And that's why people hate politics and politicians who pretend to be one thing but really they're something else. So he's not doing that anymore? He can't. And the best yeah. bit is... He is. He's just no longer doing it in the Labour Party. Sorry. Oh, yes. But the best bit is this. Mm-hmm. He's joined a group, right? Mm-hmm. The independent group. How do they start off? Within hours of forming this group, one of their group refers to all brown people as having a funny tinge. Is, who said that? Angela Smith. Oh my goodness, it's really? Yeah, 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 viral. Yeah. Alright, well, we haven't independently verified that Inspire. You can we'll Google it, Google it. Funny Tinge right now if you want, and it's okay. all over the media, and right. it, it was shocking. So yeah. this is the group, everybody. Gavin Shuka has left, formed an independent group, which is not a political party, by the way. It's just a bunch of independents, mm. calling themselves a group, mm. who've got a bank account, apparently. I'm not sure, I can't verify this, I haven't got it in front of me, but in Panama somewhere. Right. And That's we an have the tweet Surely. of Funny Tinge. Right. What's right. going on? We, we clearly know where you two stand <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on this topic. But let me quickly go to Dr. Stephen Barber, um, who I hope will be slightly more neutral on this topic. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to intrude on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forgive the intrusion. So anyway, Dr. Stephen Barber, you've heard what our what our um, guests are saying here in the studio they're clearly pleased that gavin uh, has shown his quote-unquote true colors um what's your take i mean what's what's the dynamic happening what, what's, what's going on here well i think there's a lot of things happening um and, and clearly the um uh, the brexit referendum um uh, has if it hasn't caused this, then it's at least unearthed some of these divisions that have long been there. And of course, with Labour, it's coincided with uh, um, the kind of takeover of um, the Labour leadership by Jeremy Corbyn and uh, Momentum. And the difference, I suppose, um, if you're comparing now with back in 1981, it's not a a particularly ideal comparison. Um, But it is that uh, that faction of the Labour Party, which has become much more left-wing uh, and has grown uh, substantially, also has quite a lot of control over um, uh, the, the party committees um, uh, and the infrastructure of the Labour Party. Makes sense. Meanwhile, you've got the yeah. you've got the Tory Party um, in a similar grip, actually, um, by its own right wing sure yeah so uh, you, you kind of got polar opposites forming but t- t- yeah, so, t- tell so me one thing you're opening up you're opening up this gap in the middle that that is that, that is um unfulfilled it's it's a vacuum and then vacuums get filled and, yeah so so these these guys are trying happen. to create the kind of um i don't know uh new kind of center if you like center ground however t- tell me one thing a lot of people are saying that this independent group that's being formed is actually a ploy by Tony Blair, where he might actually make a comeback with Chaka Amuna. <laughs> What's your take on that? Have you heard that on, 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 I mean, on the grapevine? I, I, I doubt it. I mean, Tony Blair has long, well, I mean, you know, since um, Corbyn became Labour leader, has long warned about uh, the need to fill the centre and, and, and for the centre. You know, but general elections are won on the centre ground. That's one of the... Um, uh, 
kind of laws of, of democratic politics in, in a sense. You know, you, you need to cover the, the, the centre ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Blair has long, uh, has long warned about this. I, I, I haven't really heard what Blair has had to say about this particular um, split from the Labour Party or indeed from the, from the, the Conservative Party. I, I suspect he's very sympathetic, to, but I, I would be very careful about, uh, you know, reading conspiracies into these things. I don't think there's really a conspiracy here. All right, appreciate that. Stay on the line with us. Yeah, uh, the, the only problem with centre grounds is you're trying to please everybody, and then you never do. You never please anybody at all. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's true. And, and, and I think that's the danger for this independent group, is that if it is simply a a, a, a grouping of centrist politicians, then sure, it has no... Um, it has no hinterland, if you like. It has no real ideolog- ideology which uh, holds it together. Mm. Um, it, it might well have that, and, and we, we end up thinking about Instagram. We, we think about things in terms of purely left and right, as if it's a, it, as if it's linear. But actually, the political spectrums broaden that. You can, you know, you have left, right um, uh, 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 along one spectrum, but you also can have authoritarian, libertarian, Please. and and you, you can't, you know, you can be left wing and libertarian, left-wing and authoritarian, and right-wing and So the good doctor sounds like he's making a, a very strong pitch for the centre ground here, and there's a couple of falsehoods that I need to pull him up on. First of all, he says that the leadership has been taken over by Corbyn and Momentum. Well, Corbyn has won two democratic elections from the membership, increasing his mandate in the second one, so he's obviously very popular amongst the Labour grassroots. That's not a takeover, that's democracy. And secondly, the good doctor has said that elections are won from the centre ground. Well, that was Tony Blair's mantra in the 1990s but it's certainly not the case now. Labour put on 3 million votes from 2015 and had the biggest swing to Labour. They didn't because of fifth columnists like Gavin Schuker and the independent group. And that's why if we had everybody pulling in the same direction in 2017, we could well be in government now. And the reason why we had those extra 3 million votes and biggest swing to Labour since 1945 was because we put up a manifesto that was the most left-wing in three decades. So no, elections are not won from the centre ground. We would be in power now if it hadn't been for these fifth columnist right-wingers. They're not centrists, I mean, they're I, right-wingers. I think, the, I think the, the retort to that argument is that here we have comfortably um, uh, the most inept government in my lifetime, um, a prime minister who barely has the confidence of her own party, and yet consistently, consistently, consistently in the polls, Labour, rather than being ten points ahead, is is five or more points behind. I mean, that's a pretty uh, solid they, point, though. I mean, okay, the, doctor, uh, the good uh, doctor, as you call him, is making a very solid point. They, they're not, they're still not ahead in the polls. A number of those polls, like mm. YouGov, for example, are owned by Tories. A lot of that polling has been push polling. We know how wrong the polls were before the 2017 that's general true. election when mm. it told us Labour was 20 points behind, and yet it came an almost true level. Mm. So, again... Well, a lot I, I, of this has been said, why, why are you not so far forward? Well, we're not so far forward because, unfortunately, despite the membership being behind the leadership, there are a lot of backstabbing fifth columnists in, within the Labour Party undermining the leadership and the election by extension. Sorry, the leadership and the membership by extension because they would rather throw an election than see Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, and that is unforgivable. All right, we need to take a very short break, but we are going to continue this topic for five minutes after the break. And what I want to know from you gentlemen is what is your message to Gavin Shuka? Like, what do you want him to do? Not right now, but after the break, because, um, you know, I mean, you know, some people are saying Gavin Shuka is quite rightly allowed to be an MP and should continue to be an MP until the next general election. Some people are saying... We should have a by-election because, you know, he's no longer part of the Labour Party. What do you reckon? Give us a call. This is Friday Night Live. Stay tuned.
Assalamu alaikum this is Atif Nawaz and you're listening to an Inspire FM podcast Assalamu alaikum welcome back to the fourth and final part of tonight's edition of Friday Night Live with me Abdul Akbar and Zafar Iqbal wow it's been an action packed show Zafar so what do you reckon Indeed, indeed. Oh my goodness! We've got all these labour fanatics um, uh, well, invading the studio. Gonna, I was going to say, right? That, that I, I do remember. I do remember. I, I do remember another. Yeah. I think you touched on it earlier. I Did remember I? another indie group, right? But oh, yeah. uh, oh. that, that kind of kind of fading away, if I'm not right. Oh, you're speaking see, in cryptic language here, man. It's the independent group, Friday. Yeah, the newspapers, right? Oh, 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 I see. I see. So maybe, maybe this indie quote, group, unquote, it, independent group. I yeah, see. So, I so I this, see. this this independent group might just follow that same route as well oh my goodness well listen i don't know about you but I, i'm feeling I'm, I'm just feeling a bit exhausted from all the chaos that's happening in the world we've got pakistan versus india all right potentially on the verge of a war um we've got shamima begum situation um we've got gavin shuka uh, who's left leaving us leaving us he's, he's, he's left the Labour Party at least and I don't know about Gavin us but left he's left the Labour Party um, and also we've got Brexit so we're going to be going on to the Brexit topic and Dr Stephen Barber from the University of Bedfordshire who manages the uh, MBA programme there he's staying with us for that topic so Stephen Barber are you still on the line there Stephen? I'm still here yes Thank I've, you got s- a, I've got a lovely link actually if you want uh, in through to, uh, to Brexit from uh, uh, from the discussion we've just been having yeah um, uh, and, and I mean, it's it, that if you remember, just before we went to the break, we we had this discussion about how accurate the polls were at the last election, uh-huh. uh, and uh, the, the relative strength of of Corbyn's Labour Party. Uh-huh. And of course, what we know from the last election was that, uh, despite the kind of manifesto talking about uh, how it would um, honour the, uh, the the result of the referendum, essentially. Um, Labour attracted huge numbers of uh, Remain voters. Remain voters who saw Labour as, as really the, the Party best for chance. Remain. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the best chance of, of getting the outcome that, that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Of course, this split actually drives a, uh, drives a line through that. That's a very it, interesting it, point. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bob, I want to come back to you in a moment. That's a very interesting point. And maybe our, our panellists, who Atik Malik um, and also... Um, um, Marcus uh, Kearney, who's the chair of the Luton South CLP, can actually comment on that. But, gentlemen, thank you for staying behind um, for another few minutes. So I left the previous part of the program with a question for you, which is, if you could ask or send a message to Gavin Chuka right now, what would that be? So let me start off with yourself, Marcus Kearney. My message to Gavin Chuka is clear. If you believe you have a personal mandate, call a by-election now see how big that personal mandate is ah very interesting per- if you believe you have a personal mandate go ahead and call a by-election do you reckon he's going to do that he will not do it because however long it takes each of these seven dwarves that declared their independence from the labor party on monday to call a by-election will be directly proportional to how many principles they have the longer it takes the less principles Interesting. So you reckon um, Gavin Shuka is clearly playing politics? Well, he's a politician, <laughs> so he's doing his job very well there. Um, so how long has he got then as an independent member of parliament, basically until the next election? Yeah. And that's, that's it? Right, yeah. We've yeah. got to wait until then? So independent that he's crossed the floor to sit with the Tories in a right-wing grouping 
Oh, interesting uh, observation there. Thanks for sharing that, Marcus. (laughs) (laughs) What was that about? He's he's potentially got until May 2022, and I think he will hang on by the tips of his fingernails Mm -hmm. until then if he can do, because he knows he has no personal mandate. He's got just over three years, basically. Yes, I mean, hopefully we'll get a snap general election before that, and as I've said before, he'll be consigned to the dustbin of history where he belongs. All right, thank you so much for that. Um, and uh, I take, what's your take? Well, I've got two messages. One for Gavin, um, similar to Marcus. You know, if you're a man of principle, uh, put your money where your mouth is, bring it. Let's see you stand there and get the votes that you think you can get, which really you just got off the back of Labour last time. And secondly, what I would say is this. As a community, we're living through some very interesting times. We've touched, I mean, just this week alone, it's been like a roller coaster for our community. Mm. We're now entering an interesting phase where sooner or later, you know, we're going to have to choose a new uh, MP for Luton. And what I would say to the community out there is look, you're not going to get this opportunity every day. This may be a one off chance here to really get someone that reflects you, someone that will fight for you. And rather than to choose someone because he's your best friend's brother or your uncle or whatever, let's really think outside the box now of a long-term plan. What is really better for us in our town, in our country? And what is the best person to lead us on that? And let's choose wisely. Very deep message there. Um, um, Sarp, I don't know about you, but this sounds like a bit of canvassing going on. Like these these guys are it up might, to something. It might, it might be. It might be. You never yeah, know. Well, well, these I, guys uh, are. I don't know about you and cryptic messages, but that sounded that very, sounded, very, very interesting. Very cryptic. But, Subliminal but messages. Here's, here's, there. here's another cryptic thought, right? Yeah. And I think Dr. Barber might might sort of comment on this. Yes. Uh, what Gavin could do is is he could be a spoiler for the Labour Party locally. Okay. Right, because the Conservatives and Labour in the previous elections have been. And last election was probably an exception, but in previous elections, they've been quite close. There's been, there's been I guess, a few thousand votes between them. Mm. And a good third candidate right, could actually sort of unseat uh, the Labour Party candidate and then bring in the Conservatives who've got the votes from the suburbs of Luton, I guess, the outer areas of Luton. Uh, what's your thought on that, Dr. Barber? Yeah, it, it, it remains to be seen, really. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I they. Uh, just briefly made a, 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 a comparison with 1981 when the SDP was formed. And the strategic problem the SDP had back then in 1981 was that it came out of Labour, but it actually did much better in Conservative seats. So it was right. much more of a threat, actually, to... To Conservatives um, to, themselves. Oh, OK, yeah, so it's a double-edged yeah. thing. So <laughs> it, go ahead it, away. Yeah, it, it could well be that, um, that, that an independent candidate... Um, could threaten Labour votes, but actually it could equally take take votes from um, from the Conservatives, and it's likely that the Lib Dems wouldn't run against him. Mm, well, all I can say, Zephyr Saab, is that um, you know the two gentlemen in front of me sound like very interesting um, candidates if they were to put their names in hand. I do not know but if I was reading a crystal ball uh, you know we've got we've got two very uh, we've got lots of talent in Luton let's put it like that well, there you go it's, it's coming out isn't it for a indeed, change indeed it's coming out for a change indeed yeah. indeed well at least we've got um, fun times ahead in Luton South at least gentlemen thank you so much for your thank time you. we really you appreciate you joining us on Friday Night Live listeners this is indeed Friday Night Live we are um, staying on the line with uh, Dr. Stephen and we're going to be going on to the Brexit topic in a bit. Um, and also, we're going to be reviewing some of the news as well in the media as well um, uh, to, to, toward the end of tonight's programme. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yes, indeed. Zara Saab, 
I mean, Brexit is causing, c continues to cause chaos. I know. Um, there's 35 days until the big day. Um, some people are saying that um, the government is going to extend the date, potentially, if they don't hit a deal. Some people are saying that no, Theresa May is going to exit, um, even if there is no deal, we're going to go into a hard Brexit. Um, some people are saying no, there's going to be enough support for potentially another referendum. I mean, what say you? What's your analysis? Uh, I think I think the the two uh, distinguished guests we have the two doctors. Yes, I are probably ma uh, much better position than I am. Uh, don't I, back out of this. The question is well, for you I, first. I, I, I think it's, it's probably going to be extended. To be honest, and that's the most likely scenario. Do you reckon? Ex extend it right while they work oh. out the details, and I think most likely the the, the sticking point is Northern Ireland, uh, and I think what they probably need to do is is probably uh, do a, a treaty between North and South Ireland. Really, uh, they'll never do that, though. I mean, they, they, I don't think treaties on the table um, I, I it's not they're not even willing to go legal here they're not even willing to put it in the agreement. but I, th I think they, w they will I think that as the pressure gets um, you know gets applied I think they will so there might be a bilateral agreement right trade agreement between Ireland and uh, UK mm. which which may be somewhat different from from rest of uh, Europe that might be acceptable but that's what I'm thinking anyway but I, on previous uh, uh, programs we've discussed and we've we've said basically that Northern Ireland issue is the one that's that's really a, a binary and none of the options are acceptable. Dr Stephen Barber are you still there? I'm still here. Thank you so much for holding on the line with us and, and sharing your academic wisdom uh, with us um, lay folk on, on this topic at least. <laughs> um, so what, what's your take uh, Dr Barber in terms of the current Brexit dynamic? I, I recall that you and I spoke um, probably a couple of months ago now um, on this topic and back then I described it as chaos I'm not sure what the word is right now but it, it, it's, it's chaos it's, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. it's chaos <laughs> plus chaos. plus yeah exactly I mean just just on that last point I'm afraid um, a bilateral agreement between the UK and Ireland um, doesn't solve the problem hmm. um, the, the, the problem here is that we're not talking about a border between the United Kingdom yeah, and yeah. Ireland. We're talking about a border between the United Kingdom and the rest of Europe. Yeah. Uh, that borders the gateway into the uh, the rest of the European Union, and and so you can't have uh, um, a, a different trading arrangements essentially in that part of Europe and then the UK, you know, on the periphery of it. So I mean, that's that's essentially the problem they've got. <laughs> right. um, that that um, uh, that the the backstop. Uh, essentially alludes to a, um, a customs arrangement um, that the hardline Brexiteers don't want because actually it would prevent the kind of freedom to go and sign trade deals and all the rest of it, even though you know the, the uh, international trade secretaries only managed to uh, um, sign uh, you know a handful. Um, but I, I think so, tra so tra that, trade is one aspect, isn't it? But actually people migration is another one. Uh, and without a physical border, right, uh, then you can't you know, if, if that's a, a EU-UK border and there's no border fencing or whatever, then that free movement aspect is still there. And and what yeah, I, exactly, I, I, yeah, read, yeah. I read I read several weeks ago that I think other countries within Europe are now reconsidering that, that whole concept of free movement. Well, uh, there, there's certainly um, uh, discussion within different countries within Europe, and, and there are some countries that, that uh, uh, like, like Britain, have... Uh, parties um, and political figures who, uh, who who either want to leave the European Union 
um, or who would like to see an end to, to free movement. It tends to be uh, a minority view. Um, actually, in these negotiations, the, the rest of the EU has been remarkably united mm-hmm. uh, in its view. And, I mean, it was about, uh, it was almost um, two years ago, the Commission itself started discussing it, the future of the EU and, and set out a range of options, one of which was actually to, to bring it back to the core and, and, and stop looking at the kind of more grand ambitions of uh, the European Union. I, I don't get any sense of that, and I certainly get no sense that um, uh, the driving force behind the European Union sees any real impetus or benefit behind um, preventing free movement. One of the, one of the core um, principles of the single market, you know, you've got free movement of capital goods um and indeed people as well all right so um dr barber put this into perspective for me um in in layman's terms if possible um which is okay we're we've got 35 days away from brexit in fact we're 35 days three hours and 16 minutes Mm -hmm. if my calculations are precise Mm -hmm. um and if that's the case um, if theresa may's government isn't able to secure a deal which of course parliament backs What's going to happen? What's going to happen uh, after midnight? Is there going to be chaos at the airports? If somebody, if people are travelling um, on the date of Brexit on the 29th of March at 11pm, um, will chaos ensue on the 30th of March? What, what's your prediction? I mean, I think if, well, clearly, if, if it is left just to fall into, uh, you know, as, as sort of fall off the cliff and drop out in, in that kind of hard Brexit way, then clearly there would be chaos on uh, many and almost all fronts. I think I said last time I was on the. the you don't program, see that happening. Do I, yeah. No. Not well. Not only do I not see Parliament allowing that to happen. Mm. Actually, I really don't see even the government uh, allowing it. And I know that Theresa May likes to keep this. Um, uh, this uh, what what you'd call a negotiating card. We have to. We have to have the card of of um, mm. saying we will we will just drop out. Um, but I, I I think it it just highly improbable. Um, mm. Even if Theresa May herself was minded to do it, and I, I, I can't believe she is. Um, I mean, there's talk of, of uh, you know, in the double figures of ministers resigning to force um, uh, force government to prevent that from happening. There is a uh, the Cooper Letwin amendment, um, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll see next week, which, if Parliament backs, will essentially force government um, to if it if it um, if it doesn't have a deal that Parliament has approved, uh, then Parliament has the option to insist on uh, government extending uh, Article 15, extending um, leaving the EU. So I, I, I'm increasingly so thinking. Unlikely scenario of having a no deal Brexit, basically, is what you're saying. All right. Um, well, well, well I, I, that's kind of. Uh, I think it, it's unlikely that in the event that Theresa May is in capable of getting a deal agreed by parliament mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. i think it's in, i think it's unlikely that either parliament or government will actually just allow us to to just leave fall off the cliff on the on the 29th of march okay well we shall see what happens well dr stephen barb i really appreciate your time on this program and um sharing your analysis on this um and we look forward to inviting you um on maybe the 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 show uh, proceeding the 29th to see what's happened <laughs> <laughs> of March. If, if um if radio mars 
broadcast and all the rest. Yeah, yeah if it's, if it, it's, <laughs> it's like the Millennium Bug. Remember that? <laughs> Every, everybody's saying uh, chaos will ensue um, on the 1st of January 2000, and nothing happened. Loads of contractors <laughs> made loads of money. Loads <laughs> of contractors <laughs> made loads of money, and I reckon that's what's happening here. Loads of stockbrokers are making loads of money, and FX traders on the pound versus the dollar and all that stuff, right? Well, so possibly. And lawyers, yes. And, and lawyers. lawyers they're, yes. They're, all, they're all making good cash out of this situation. <laughs> there you go. Oh, oh, my goodness. Thanks very much, Dr. Barber. Take your time. I uh, appreciate your time. Cheers. All right, listeners. Amazing, amazing analysis there, for, analysis there from Dr. Stephen Barber, who's from the University of Bedfordshire. He's the principal lecturer and director of the MBA program there. Awesome stuff. Well, listeners, what do you reckon? 01582 481822. Now, I'll tell you one thing. A lot of you try to call us on the Shamima Begum topic, and I want to invite your calls right now. We've got another 10 minutes left on tonight's program, but I really want your take on what you think the government should do with the situation with Shamima Begum. Now, you'll recall that she was one of three girls, and Rihanna Faisal caught me out on this one, and she was right. Um, I describe them as three British women, as per the most most of the media outlets out there. But actually, there were three British girls who were under 16, under 18. They were 15 at the time, who basically fled London without their family's permission. They were allegedly groomed, and they left to the so-called Islamic State in February of 2015. But now, one of them, Shamima Begum, has just had her third child. Two of the first children she had actually died once they were babies. However, her third child lives. She's currently in a refugee camp somewhere in Syria. And she's saying, I am British and I want to just keep my baby safe. That's my motivation for coming back. I want my baby to be safe and I want to come home. But you know that Sajid Javed, our Home Secretary, has revoked her passport. And now Jeremy Corbyn just today described that action as quote-unquote extreme. My question to you is, what do you reckon? She isn't accused of murder, but she is accused of betraying Britain by committing the crime of joining a prescribed terror group. But my question is, is that a crime that warrants being stripped of your British citizenship. Was Sajid Javed right to revoke her passport? I mean, Zephyr Saab, you never got to speak much when we were talking mm, to indeed, indeed, our, yeah. our guests, but what goes through your mind when you see this? And remember, listeners, 01582 481822 is the number to call. Shamima Begum, should she be allowed back in the UK? What do you reckon? Zephyr Saab. I say definitely, to be honest. I think it's definitely trial by media. Uh, here's a girl who young impressionable girl and, and I'm, a, I'm a father of, of five children so I know how uh, how streetwise children are at the age of 15 I think she was duped into sort of um, uh, uh, you know going to Syria being promised utopia uh, I think that's a key thing promised uh, promised money promised um, freedom a lifestyle, yeah. a lifestyle yeah uh, and, and to be honest, I think it's been proven wrong. I think ISIS was was a fraud. ISIS was a, a creation of agencies, right, uh, for geopolitical gains in that region. Do you have any evidence for that? I don't have any evidence it's for a that. Theory. But 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 yeah. you have to if you join the dots, uh, the evidence is there, mm. uh, plain for, for you to see. Mm. And I think people who ask for evidence for these type of things are the ones probably hiding the evidence. Okay. Are you, say, are, are you saying I'm hiding the evidence? Well, no, no. People who say, well, you know, it's just a conspiracy theory or whatever. Yeah. But anyway. 
Well, it, ISIS it, exists. It, I mean, they're a large. They were a large. They were a large group. They had large parts of Syria un- under their uh, we, we, control. We there was that. a there was a caliphate in existence. Well, uh, well, caliphate it, it, as such because you know, it, fra- it was fragmented. It was it was debunked basically by all the scholars that anybody respects basically mm. are from a Sunni and Shia background. But there, but you gotta you gotta, you gotta understand. I mean, so far, you you've grown up in this country, right? Yeah. I've grown up in this country. And I believe every Muslim aspires to live in a country that will, you know, allow them to practice to make their you religion not feel freely, not feel no, make different, you feel different. That's the key thing. Um, worship when you like, not being called names, wear your headscarf, wear your beard, not not be called the P word or whatever. Exactly. You know, to, to that's what in. I aspire to. I mean, to I want. I, yeah, I just I just want to be able to. I want to be free to practice my religion, but I also want to enjoy the laws that my religion um, teaches as well and I'll be honest I'm not comfortable with all the laws of this country but do I break those laws absolutely not I'm never going to break the law because I'm a British citizen that's what I effectively without Mm. choice signed up to when I was born in this country Um, correct and I think to be honest she she must have been and again I don't have evidence for this right but she must have been she must have well you asked for my opinion I'm giving my opinion please Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she she must have been drawn into a, a, a utopian sort of image of what That's life is going to be like. Always happens, yeah. Yeah, and then when she got there, and then and I guess she she found some some disturbing things, but she overlooked mm. them, right? Because she thought, right, okay, things are going to get better. Uh, you know, uh, you know this, you know this this may be the war situation, right? But once the war is over, but you know the irony is the yeah, irony but, oh, is. Oh, no, let me, yeah, sorry, so, so yeah. The thing is, right, so right, the thing is, she's right. she's kind of. She's kind of like learnt that you know things weren't as what she was promised. Yeah, and uh, she's been cut off from the rest of the world. Mm. She's been kind of like listening to one side of the arguments while the world has been talking about multiple different uh, uh, views, yeah. angles. Then all of a sudden now she's been thrust in front of the cameras uh, and asked these questions, and people are now trying to judge her not the words she uses, but the expression on her face. This is a traumatized girl. Right? Well, they're judging on her words as well. Yeah. And to be honest, when I saw her words. Um, the, the the first you know her words when she when she was speaking I, I was quite disturbed I was like oh my god what are you saying like uh, but, because, but the thing is, I, I wasn't saying what what are you saying because I I I agreed with her or disagreed with her I just knew how her words would be perceived by. Um, people who, who she don't was come a media savvy. You say she was a media savvy. She said it as it was. She's a fifteen-year-old girl. She, she was being. She was being authentic. I mean, she was being well, herself. You 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 hit yeah. it on the, the head. She's being authentic. All right. But at the same time, there's an expectation that that she would basically wilt and All right. melt. We've got, we've got a call on the line. We've got lots of callers on the line. So I want to take those calls. Listeners, oh one five eight two four eight one eight double two. Give us a call if you want to uh, come on the air. We've got Muhammad on the line. Muhammad, salam alaikum. Walaikum as salam, uh, brother. I've been listening to the discussion. GG. Uh, yes. Uh, to be honest, uh, the, this, uh, um, uh, uh, the question came to my mind for a long time, but I couldn't ask uh, anyone. Um, you know, these three girls, uh, Shamima Begum and her uh, two other friends. Yes. Uh, they, were, they were 15 at that time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when they left. So I wonder how did they uh, pass the British immigration system <laughs> when they were 15 <laughs> only? That's easy, but, but Mohammed, by that's easy. You, you just go and buy a ticket. You have a British passport. No one's going to check but, but you. But I have seen an article, right, yeah. on the newspaper, which says that yeah. her entry into Syria was facilitated by somebody from Canada, 
right, um, who purportedly work for an agency. You mean they had support somehow? Yes, there's so, oh. it was a spy effect. It, 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 Mohammed, Ma- is that what you're saying? Are you saying there was some something else going on behind the scenes? Yes, of course, of course. And another question is, mm. um, um, so far I knew uh, from the British media, half of them, almost 835 or some number, uh, went to Syria and uh, more, than, more than half, uh, around half of them came back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is it true? Uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. The, I don't know. The, I don't know the numbers, but, but I do know. I've, I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've heard this uh, news in BBC. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Around. Probably around true then. Them came back. Maybe not. So <laughs> there was no no discussion, no problem with any other, uh, you know, who who came back uh, returned. Yeah. So why, why is different for Shamima Begum? Yeah, this is it. This is this is what people are concerned about. And you know, Mohammed, by the other thing that yeah. really disturbed me, I don't know if you heard that part of the program where Atik Malik okay. he hit the nail on the head. This man is amazing because what he said was he foresees potentially from this action that Sajid Javed is taking potentially a two-tier British British citizenship. Where yes. uh, and Mohammed, by where are you from? You sound like you're from Bangladesh. Uh, yes, Mashallah. I so I mean, look, you're Bangladeshi, but I'm, I'm taking you also yes. British. What, what they're effectively saying is that if you don't agree with what Sajid Javed is saying, they could take away your British passport, my British passport. That's a pretty scary proposition. Anyway, Mohammed Bai, we've got to leave it there. Um, and I'm, I'm very sorry to all the other people who are trying to get through uh, on, on the show tonight because it has been an action-packed show. But don't forget, you can listen back to any part of tonight's program on inspirefm.org and clicking on the Friday Night Live show link. Um, however, we are going to be back next week continuing with this topic and we'll be following the latest progress of Shamima Begum and where we have landed and the kind of legal action that the family is potentially taking against Sajid Javid. I am disappointed by this Home Secretary because I did I did celebrate when he was made a MP and when he became Home Secretary but now many people are mourning and they're not just Muslim they're all kind of British and quite disturbed. Anyway, this is Friday Night Live from me and Zafar Iqbal. Until next week, Salaam alaikum. Take care. Have a great weekend. Inshallah. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM.